0: Hey guys, it's Kayla. Candace isn't able to join us today, but we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our thirties, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. And today we are going to talk about getting older. That's right. Yes. Guess what? You're listening right now and you are older. You're older every second. And we are talking about menopause. It is something that is not discussed often at all. Our guest today, Omi Shade Bernie Scott, is an incredible force of a woman. She has so much to share with us. Now, before we jump into our conversation today, we are talking about women, those who identify as women, and those with vaginas. This conversation is for everyone, and we hope you enjoy the incredible Omi Shade Bernie Scott and all of her wisdom. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Omi. And I am here with Omishade. Omishade, thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you.
0: And you guys can't see her, but she just looks awesome. She just looks (laughs) cool and bright and bold and very fascinating. So, okay, I'm excited to have this conversation because to be honest, we have not done a podcast episode about menopause that's right menopause no one talks
2: about it I feel like I should blow like fake Jamaican horns so here we go let's do it let's go Kayla let's do it here we go here we go
0: we're ready okay before we dive right into it what I want to start with is how when we're young we are all so obsessed with growing up we want to be like our older siblings. We we realize now we know ourselves better as we grow older. We have a better understanding of where we are in our world, our space within it. So why is it that you think we're conditioned to think that getting older is a negative thing?
2: You know, I I think it, that's really nuanced. It's a really good question. Because I do think that as children, we notice who has power, who gets to make decisions, from our observations as kids, it's like, well, who is the person who seems to be able to move freely in the world and make their own choices around what they eat and what they wear and where they go and what time they go to bed and what time they, go, they get up? It feels like adults have that. And so there is this thing as a, as a child that you're like, well, I want to be a grown up because I want that autonomy. I want to be able to make these decisions for myself. And that's juxtaposed against kind of who we are as a culture and a society that also kind of wants you to stay frozen in young adulthood. Like there, there's this way that we, we do want you to become an adult, but we don't want you to be old. We want you to stay in this kind of odd mid-20 to mid-30, which seems to be prime real estate for value in our society. You know, it's like if you were there, if you live in that particular landscape, that's valuable, that's attractive, that's the aesthetic, that's what you're striving for. And once you get there, you're always trying to like toggle and stay in that space. And once you get on the other side of 35 or the other side of 40, then you start getting flooded with messages of how to remain useful, how to look useful how to do all these things. And that's, you know, all of this to me is predicated on the patriarchy. It's just like, how does patriarchy, when does it get introduced into your psyche? When does it get introduced into your thinking, especially for women or women identified people? Like, how does that come online for you? And like, how are you grappling with it for essentially most of your life, you know, trying to figure out, you know, this message is not very healthy. I don't know if I buy that, or I've got some unlearning to do because I totally invested in the messages that were being given to me around what my value is in society. And now that I'm whatever age, I don't know if I buy it anymore, or it's not useful for me anymore. It's somehow causing me harm. And some people never get there. Like some people drink the Kool-Aid and kind of stay in that space. And it, it's, it's very hard to disassociate from something that is so saturated in our culture.
0: Ugh, such a great answer. And it's all so true. It's funny you you mentioned. It's so true. You mentioned on the other side of 35, and as I was prepping for this episode, I'm 37. And it made me realize I don't even really know what to prepare for when it comes to menopause. I know the word. I have no idea what it is, what it really represents. I know in in essence, like, okay, you're not allowed to have children anymore. And that's what, and it does, you know, some things to your body, but that's all. And that's terrifying. I didn't realize how little I knew about it until I'm prepping to have this conversation with you. So first off, thank you for even bringing it up in general, because obviously it needs to be discussed. And I realized I never had this conversation with my mom, probably because she never had it with her mom. And I I have a daughter. I know you have a son. I want to have this conversation with her.
2: Mm-hmm. So I, did you did you and your mom have conversations before your menstrual cycle started? Of course. Yeah, of course we did. talked all about the
0: period, of course. And actually how she handled it was a really lovely way that I want to handle with my daughter. She gave me a book. She said, this is everything that you need to know right now. And I'm here if you want to talk about it. And I loved it because it gave me freedom to approach her when I wanted, to talk about it when I wanted. And also there was this unspoken knowledge of, okay, we both know and we're both aware that this is the time in life that's happening,
2: right? That's right. And you were also like kind of co-conspirators, like your mother already had that experience as somebody who had a menstrual cycle. And she was basically letting you know, like, I'm about to, im I'm about to initiate you into the fold. Like you are about to become a part of a society, and I'm excited for you. And I know it's your journey, so you let me know when you're ready to talk about that. We deserve the same type of listen. I just want to let you know that perimenopause, not just menopause, but because menopause is a spectrum, and I know we're gonna, for your listeners, kind of talk about the different stages of menopause, which is really important for folks to know. But in the same way, and your first period is called monarchy, right? So in the same way that so many young people, kids, children, girls, you know, folk who decide whatever their gender identity is going to be when they get a little older, or even if they know it then, like there's so much information that starts to kind of like trickle in when you're in elementary school or middle school. For me, I I went to junior high school and my mom was a registered nurse. And I definitely had a similar experience. So did my younger sister, where there were books, there were comics, there were pamphlets, there were just all kinds of like, it was a whole library of information. And the ultimate kind of like repository of information around what was going to happen to me or to my younger sister was our mom, you know, because she had a period. She already had experience having her first period. And we knew that we could go to her and say, mommy, this is happening, this is happening. And she would not rebuff us. She wouldn't scoff at us. She would say, I'm ready whenever you are, sweetie. And that happened when we both got our periods the first time. She was so excited and she cried and it was emotional. It was like all these things. But menopause, because it is conflated and associated with aging, because it doesn't always happen at a particular age, but often it does happen chronologically or naturally. It is a life transition. It's not an illness. And we live in a society that puts a lot of value on what you're able to do with your body as a woman. So if you are no longer able to have children, whether you were able to have children anyway or wanted children anyway, that. It diminishes your value. So culturally around the world, there's so many different ways that people approach that period with taboo and secrecy and shame and stereotypes because we associate femininity. We associate your womanhood with your ability to bear children. And that is cultural. And that cultural connection is steeped with patriarchy and misogyny. It's like the only way that you hold value potentially as a woman is you still have the ability to bear a child and then when that ceases and it also is attached to potentially aging which then also gets attached to potentially our mortality then who wants to talk about that i don't want to talk about being old barren and about to die Why would I want to have that conversation?
0: Well, that's what we're doing right now. We're having that conversation, but we're going to break this. We're going to break this stigma. And that's what we're doing. And I know that's what you do in your podcast, The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. So, okay, take us through the different stages then, because I will say a lot of our listeners are women or identify as women over 80 percent. So this is something that they will go through in their lifetime. So gear up, guys. Here we go.
2: (laughs) So here, here's the, the very kind of basic, easy, non-medical professional definition of menopause. Menopause is when you have not had a menstrual cycle for one full calendar year. So that is 365 days plus one. Not because you could end up on day 365 and your period comes back and you start all the way over again. It's one of those type of situations. And it is also when your estrogen levels and your progesterone levels start to diminish, which means you will no longer be releasing eggs, right? So it is the ceasing of releasing eggs. It's the shifting in your hormones. It is the ceasing of your period, okay? That's the at literally what menopause is. But menopause is also a spectrum. So there is a period before your menopause that's called perimenopause. And perimenopause can last anywhere from seven to 10 years, depending on the individual. Some people, I experienced perimenopause in my late thirties, early forties. A lot of people start to experience perimenopause in their mid to late forties. Some people don't experience perimenopause until they're in their fifties. It depends on the person and their physiological makeup. It also is impacted by culture. We know that Black women tend to experience menopause, perimenopause earlier and have more intense what are called vasomotor symptoms. You know, layman's term, hot flashes, night sweats, brain fog, all of that tends to be more intense for Black women and it tends to last longer for Black women. So part of my culture and narrative shift work that we do with the Black Girls Guide is to give people that accurate information of the phases, but also to unpack why that might be the case. Right. So I'll come back to that. So you could be early perimenopause, mid perimenopause, late perimenopause. Then you can be menopausal. Then you can be early post, mid post, late post. I'm officially a mid post menopausal person. Congratulations! Oh, right, thank you very much. That's I'm amazing. Very, very happy
0: to be here. Very Let's do those horns again. <laughs>
2: I'm I am so excited to be a postmenopausal <laughs> person, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you don't have any kind of transfer transformation that is both physical and I think I want to say cultural and emotional. It's really important. I tend to say that menopause is a physiological experience, it is a cultural experience, and it's also a social political experience because we know the way that we experience um, women's health, health equity in the United States, it's, it's tricky. It's already fraught. And so as you are navigating the changes that are happening in your body, Um, Your identity moves with you. And if you are moving with marginalized identities as you're navigating your period or having children or not having children or your sexuality or your gender identity or menopause, all of this is fraught. And And so that's why it's so dynamic and complicated and nuanced. There are many menopauses. And so it is not a one size fits all and it is not an end.
0: It is definitely not an illness. Thank you for repeating that too. You said that in the beginning. And just, I mean, I, I laugh out of kind of uncomfortability because the truth is, you know, no one should think that, but the fact that you have to say it proves that many do.
2: Many do, many do, because it's problematized. And I understand that. So this is not to diminish the experiences that some people have. Some people have had a really, really challenging time. And that's really important to understand, acknowledge and to for that person or those people to have support. And there's some people who are like, you know, my period just stopped and I just kept going with my life. It didn't even like, it wasn't a a thing that I thought about. So that also plays a role in how we communicate, right? So with that first period, there is the beginning of something. You don't spontaneously become a menopausal person. It is the ending of a relationship you've had with your menstrual cycle. There's a lot to that. I had a menstrual cycle for over 40 years. That's a long time. It's a long time to be in a rhythm. It's a long time for my body to be giving me certain information. Each month it would say, hey, hey girl, hey, you ain't pregnant. Or hey, hey girl, you might be pregnant. Hey girl, yeah, you know what you are. That that relationship, right, starts to shift, which means that you are going through a transformation. It's like you're shape-shifting. And as you're shape-shifting, the society is telling you, don't get old. Don't look old. Don't act old. Oh, your body's changing. Oh, no. What's going to happen? Well, let me give you this cream. Let me give you this suppository. Let me give you this, you know, let me give you this whatever. So you can stay in this perpetual place of usefulness as opposed to to be in a place of vibrancy, happiness, safety, joy, adventure, exploration, right? Like those things. Are the things that I want people, rather than saying, oh, you look so good for your age. You know, I'm 55 and I, I'm going to be honest with you, Kayla, I get t- told all the time I don't look 55. You don't. I, don't I, can, think- I
0: can say that. I'm going to add to that. I mean, you really don't. I wish you guys
2: could see the video right now. This is when <laughs> I wish we had a video. And for. I used to say, oh, thank you. And now I say, but I have earned 55 years that have not always been afforded to everybody that I've been in relationship with. There are people who are no longer here. So the alternative is I would not be here. Or the alternative is I would be here but not be healthy or happy, you know? And so I I want to pay attention to the language that we use when we talk about the way that our bodies transform. Aging is a natural process as a human being. It is a natural thing to age. You start to age the moment you take your first breath, Right? So it is important for us to try to find a way for us to lean into what our bodies are naturally made to do and to give, in particularly women and women identified and gender expansive people, um, the space that they need to navigate this without feeling like there's something inherently wrong with me because I'm changing again. Like there isn't something wrong with you. It is a natural thing. And whatever you're experiencing you deserve support along the way. You deserve information and support, right? So that's what, that's mm-hmm. where, where we lay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
1: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat,
3: They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor.
0: And we're back all day. I, you have such a beautiful relationship with your body and with yourself.
2: It's been a journey. I just want you to know this is this is. Listen, let me let me. I'm gonna come clean for all the listeners. Was Omi Shade always this person? No. <laughs> well, that's a relief.
0: Thank you. <laughs> oh my
2: god! Listen, I was I graduated from high school in 1985, so I came up in the age of Finfin fin and jazz jazzercise and. You know Jane Fonda doing aerobics and all all the things. So I I had to start to kind of like give myself permission to detangle from how do I have a relationship with my body that it doesn't feel like I'm warring with my body. You know that I I have body sovereignty that I love my body and that every day won't be a day where I look at my body and say you know what you look pretty good. There may be days where I look at my body I'm like eh it's the best I got today. But you know what I'm grateful that I've got it and that's been a journey for me. And I think that becoming a parent has helped me do that very much. I also think turning 50 helped me really lean into like, you know, there's some things that you believe about yourself that are inherently untrue and they're harmful in fact. So how can we stop that? And some good therapy has helped me with that.
0: Oh, I love therapy. I'm such a huge proponent of that, and my it's mom is a therapist too. It's Everybody incredible. Needs to yeah. Absolutely. yeah, and that's honestly why this podcast was started in the beginning because we all know we have a lot of growth to do, and having these discussions is what we we want to do because this is how we become. Mm-hmm. A better human, and, and you're right. Have a better understanding of our relationship within the world. So, okay, you. One of the most beautiful things I've heard you guys talk about on the podcast and within the community that you have is what you wish you would have known before you started menopause. Can you take us there? Because I think that is the the place that a lot of our listeners are at right now in their life.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I always kind of refer back to the thing I wish I would have known because. it it takes me to this place of thinking about my mom. My mother passed away when I was 31. She was 68. And I definitely feel like there would be conversations that we would have had at least 10 years ago when I was in my 40s that would have been a little bit of kind of like a, I don't know, preparation. It It is the conversation before the conversation or the change before the change. Like, I think we would have had this conversation And I could have said, you know, I don't know, mommy. I think that my body is doing something different. And certainly as I was perimenopausal, I I have two sons. I had my oldest son when I was 25 and I had my youngest son when I was 41. I experienced a pregnancy loss at 40. And when my oldest son started college, I was going through a divorce. So I just think that we would have had so many conversations around just the life cycle of being an adult you know, and like all the different things that kind of happened to you in your lifetime. But the thing that I wish I had known is that menopause is a natural part of our life cycle as people who have uteruses and ovaries, like hard stop right there. Like, I think that when we had our first sex education conversation in 1978, when I was in the sixth grade, I would have hoped that they would have said, "Listen." As we talk about all of who you are and your body parts and contraception and menstruation, they would have said, and yes, as you get older, things will change and you will also be menopausal at some point. And this is what that, means." but that wasn't the conversation. It was kind of hyper fixated on sex, pregnancy prevention, menstruation, hygiene, like in hygiene. Like it was like a lot of conversation around hygiene, but no, and how to protect yourself from STDs or STIs, but no conversation around, you know, you're going to get older one day. And as you get older, your body's going to continue to change and you still deserve for somebody to give you a heads up around what's happening. And it's it's, it's not um, a problem. So I wish that that was a conversation that I had. I do think that Having a conversation with my OBGYN when I experienced a pregnancy loss gave me a heads up that a lot of my friends didn't get until they were like full on in perimenopause. And they were like, what's happening right now? And it was honestly only because I had a miscarriage that my OBGYN said, it's not uncommon for perimenopausal people to experience pregnancy loss. And I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. What is perimenopause? And she was like, "Oh!" And then she walked me through what I just walked you through. She was like, "There's the peri, there's the menopause, there's the post." And she was like, "You were also born with your full complement of eggs. So when you were born, all the eggs that you will ever have were already in your ovaries." I'm gonna let you let how I
0: didn't know that. My my jaw is. Oh my God, you're... I do wish that people could see your face because Kayla's face just went, wait, what? Which, okay, now that you say that, it makes so much sense. I don't know why I would think that I just... But it's
2: not told to us in this way. No, it's never discussed. So, you know, the the cool kind of like string theory, physics, I don't know, sci-fi part of that is that we've always existed. Because if you've always if the eggs that you were born with were always there that means that you were already already there with your mom right. and your mom with your grandma so it's like there's oh, kind wow. of this really beautiful way that we've always existed mm. before we were born yeah wow yeah which i love that i love i love to be able to kind of spin it on it's like i don't know spiritual and scientific head is like listen it's a really powerful thing to be a person born with ovaries and a uterus we are some really potent jokers. So I just want to put that out there for posterity's sake. But your eggs age, they get old. And so when they get old, you know, when people talk about, I don't have any viable eggs. The reason why you hear that language when people might be either experiencing fertility issues, or they're talking about having a, a baby older, they're like, it might be harder because we're not sure about the viability of your eggs. is because your I had a 25-year-old egg born March, 1992, and I had a 41-year-old egg born October, 2008.
0: Right, right, yeah. And and I don't know if anyone... Listening to this is going through this as well, but we have a lot of friends within our friend group who have frozen their eggs and are talking a lot about egg count and wanting children and not sure which ones are healthy and not. And it's so wonderful that we can do that nowadays and know how many eggs we have and all of that. That's not something that has been available to everyone.
2: No. And so there are a lot of times that people had no idea why they were unable, if they wanted to, were unable to have children. They had no idea. And we now we have this technology that makes it possible for us to understand our bodies better. But that technology, we, the culture has to catch up with technology. We have to catch up with how do we continue to have accessible, grounded, open, respectful, affirming conversations about our bodies, right? So um, how and do that, we do
0: that then? Because I think a lot of people listening after hearing this conversation, are going to be excited and invigorated to start these conversations with people they love in their lives, with their friends, with their colleagues, with the people who they love most in their innermost circle. Sometimes just starting the conversation is the hardest part. Do you have any advice in that regard? What What is a good way to bring it up? Is there anything you've found? Because you've had so many discussions about this.
2: But I going to be honest, I have some girlfriends, when I started the Black Girls Guide back in 2019, they were excited to see me do something creative and they understood what I was doing, but they didn't feel like they could be as supportive as they wanted to be because it made them kind of look in a mirror and they're like, oh, gosh, how do I feel about my own body? How do I feel about getting older? How do I feel about being perimenopausal or menopausal? I don't think I'm ready to have this conversation. And I get it. Especially when you are like being flooded with messages around, you know, what do we see in the media when we see a menopausal woman? We see a hot, sweaty, angry woman. She's emotional. She's, it's just, it's awful. It's just, you know, the stereotypes are just like, and awful. typically
0: people who are reacting to that woman are essentially going, oh, she's crazy. She's, you know, right. that's, that's the reaction.
2: That's the reaction. What is her deal? What's that wrong we're with her? Mm-hmm. Right. And then on the other hand, I have folk who are just like, please give me information. I feel like I am in the dark. I feel like I'm walking in a crooked room in the dark. Mm -hmm. I can't find my way. I keep falling down. I I need some wayfinding tools. I am utterly confused. I do feel like I'm going crazy. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: And I need you to tell me, am I menopausal? Is this normal? And what can I do to get my doctor to have a conversation with me in a way that I don't feel dismissed and I feel mm-hmm. fully seen. I said, okay, all right. So that's the spectrum from those two extremes. And then you got all of these other folks in the middle who are just like, I don't know. <laughs> just, trying, just trying to figure it that's out. That's me so what here we- going, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So I, initially what I thought was going to be a good thing to do is to model storytelling. You know, I started working in the areas of social justice in the mid-90s. So I've been doing social justice since 95, so 27 years or so. And one of the tools that we use in community organizing is a dialogical tool called popular education. Popular education uses storytelling, first-person narratives, community narratives, to help individuals who are marginalized be able to tell their stories and to share stories with each other before they start grappling with a particular issue to try to figure out how they're going to address it. So it takes like you don't have to be an expert on the issue if the issue is reproductive justice you don't have to be an expert of that if the issue is environmental justice you don't have to be an expert on that or economic justice no you only have to be an expert on yourself and your story and you spend time and this is also based on Paulo Freire who is a was a brazilian organizer activist teacher pedagogy of the oppressed right so it's like How do you create a pedagogy that doesn't require you to be an expert, to be educated, to be literate, doesn't require any of that. The only thing it requires of you is that you are able to tell your story or tell a story and to be able to hear and receive someone else's story. And once you're able to do that, that kind of like creates a dynamic where the story that's shared can resonate with you. And you're like, oh my God. This is absolutely my story. I understand this story so well. I didn't realize that we had this connection. So it pulls you closer to that person or it will offer you a story that turns you onto something that you had never heard before. And you're like, well, I, you know what? I never heard that before. I didn't know that before. This is fascinating. Why didn't I know that? And it makes you more curious about something that you didn't know historically or culturally or politically, right? So it is, it is on purpose that we engage in culture and narrative shift work because I see that as an on-ramp to actually giving people what they need so we can also ultimately do some kind of advocacy or policy change because everything that we're experiencing at the individual level, we also experience at a larger systemic level. And so we we decided to focus on storytelling. And who doesn't love a good story, right? Oh, this
0: is everyone why, right? loves a good story. Everybody yes. loves. This That's why you got
2: a podcast. I, you know, I, <laughs> I you know, was in Lisbon recently, and I, I drove back last night from Atlanta, and all I did was listen to spooky podcast stories the whole way home, and was just like in my mind creating a visual of what was happening in the landscape. I was listening to Snap Judgment Spooked, and I was like. Ooh, oh, I wonder what that looked like. Ooh, that sounds so creepy. You know, I love that. And I hope that people who are really curious or struggling with their menopause journey will find their way to our podcast and they'll settle in with some tea or they'll go on a walk or they'll be in their car. And they say, let me just turn this on for a second. They'll hear someone share their story and they will say, oh my God, I thought I was the only person who felt this way. Or, oh my goodness, I thought was the only person who was in their 20s experiencing menopause because I had cervical cancer. Or I'm the only genderqueer trans person who's experiencing menopause because I've been on T for the last 15 years. Like, I didn't know there were other people out here having the same experience. Or I didn't even know that when you started taking testosterone for gender-affirming hormone replacement therapy that you would go through menopause. Who knew? Now I know. So it just creates this kind of open, expansive place that I hope feels safe first. So storytelling to me, I think is the best way. And not even storytelling where you would say, all right, Omi, when I get off of this this podcast interview with you, I'm going to call my mom. I'm going to be like, so tell me your menopause story, mom. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. But I do want you to, you know, consider like how you have more conversations about how your mother feels in her body. Like, mom, how do you feel in your body right now? But what are the things you love about your body? right What are the things that are hard for you? And then for you to also share, you know what I love about my body right now? I really love this. And you know, the thing that's just like really giving me like a headache is this thing right here.
0: Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. <laughs> And we're back. Oh, me, this is fascinating because I, I have notes up, and part of these notes then say, How do we feel in our bodies right now? Because that is something that is. Uh, yeah, I just, I, we're definitely aligned in this because that was something I really wanted to talk to you about is how you feel in your body right now. And I know how I feel. I just had a baby. I mean, listen, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot going on in my body. And right how now. old
2: is your baby?
0: Four months, four months old. So he is a baby baby. And I have a, I have a lot going on in my body too. I mean, as we're talking of this, you've mentioned sweaty. I am so sweaty and it's, you know, just something that happens a lot right now. So I totally get, I totally get it. And how do you feel in, your body now.
2: How do you? I think I feel the first thing that just came to my mind, like authentic gut response is gratitude. You know, going through these last several years or these last few years in particular with the pandemic, I have a lot of gratitude for this body. I'm like, girl, you have held me down. Thank you. Thank you for holding me down. And I also feel curious. I see myself differently for your viewers or your listeners. I have like really, really intensely white gray hair and it's getting whiter by the day. I
0: see some purple too.
2: Oh yeah. And I did, I did jazz it up. It's you know, so because, fun. Yeah. I love it. I'm an Aries. It's, the thing <laughs> <we do. laughs> it's great. But I, you know, every morning when I look, I look in the mirror at my body, I try to find where I need to give my body some love. You know, whether it's give it some love, because I'm like, you know, your breasts are looking spectacular today, Omichette. You know, they don't live near your clavicle anymore. However, they're looking kind of robust. I'm digging the boobs today. Or there are days where I'm just like, ooh, this belly is so soft. Oosh, it's so soft. But this belly also held two spectacularly beautiful boys. And this belly also is really wise. I have a wise menopausal gut that I listen to. And I'm grateful, even though she's soft. I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you, soft belly. Thank you, soft thighs. You know, thank you. Thank you, wild, crazy gray hair. Thank you. Thank you, full lips. Thank you, eyes that keep telling me I need glasses. Be like, you can't read that. Put your glasses on. You're like, You you know what, eyes? You are correct. I cannot see that. I will put my glasses on. <sighs> This
4: is
0: just incredible. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you're here and that you're here to teach because they, you know, truly all of us have so much to learn and the space that you have created. I'm telling you right now, after going there this weekend, I really felt like it was just available to anyone and everyone. It was almost a space that was just come as you are. You are enough. You are enough. However you show up, it's enough. And I'm so grateful that this space exists for people listening now. And if you listen and hear this, go check out the Black Girls Guide to Menopause. Share it with your friends. Share it with everyone, because not many spaces like this exist now. I think people have a goal to create this, but sometimes, you know, as any goal happens, you get a little sidetracked, and it doesn't necessarily end up being what you wanted it to be. Well, this is something that really, truly feels it embodies what you set out to create, and I mean that wholeheartedly. Thank you for creating I a space like that.
2: that. You know, one of our running jokes with our team is that we we pitched a tent, we made a base camp on the dark side of the moon, but it's not like the spooky aliens versus predator dark side of the moon. Like we're glamping. Like so, like if you find your if you find your way to the dark side of the moon. You could have kombucha or you could have rosé. If you want some soft space, we can. you could take a nap. You want to watch a movie? We've got a nice library. We've got books. We've got everything. What do you need to feel comfortable? What do you need to feel uh, received? Um, there's something about a hospitality when you're journeying, you know? And this is a journey. And I do think that we we try to offer a level of hospitality where it's like, you're welcome here. Listen, kick your shoes off. Take your bra off, pull it out your sleeve, <laughs> you know, re- relax. It is, it is truly okay. And whoever you are, all bodies, all ages, all identities are welcome here. And somebody asked me, well, why do you say the Black girls' has just about a menopause? Which I think is a really important question. And the first response I have is because I'm still a Black girl, right? Like I am, there is the, the young Omi the five-year-old Omi, the 15-year-old Omi, the 40-year-old Omi inside of this body. And all of my avatars get to come along for the ride. Like, come on, come on, five-year-old. Come on, come on, 15-year-old. Um, I'm not leaving any parts of myself behind. And that's a new thing because there were parts of myself as I got older that I problematized. I was like, oof, when you were 16, oof, that was, that was not a good idea. Oh, ooh, remember that, that thing you did when you were 25? Why would you do that? And I was kind of compartmentalizing the parts of myself that I wanted to um, elevate, that was more presentable, that met a standard that society gave, that met a standard that my parents had for me, that met a standard that even my friends had for me. And it started to crumble. When I became a parent of my first child, he basically eviscerated a lot of that. He was like, hey, lady nah, you're going the wrong way. We're going this way. And I was like, that way looks a little sketch. It looks a little scary. And he he was basically like, yeah, follow me. And I do give a lot of credit to becoming a mom and helping me try to find a way to settle into what I think is this journey that I'm supposed to be making this lifetime. And every time something happened in my life, it it kept giving me more information and more reinforcement this is what you're supposed to do. And then I was gifted with the opportunity to bring all my other parts with me and to go back and say, hey, 15-year-old Omi, remember how I used to talk kind of trash about you? I'm sorry. I know that you were just trying to keep us safe and I apologize and I love you. You want to come with me to therapy? And initially she was like, no. (laughs) right right. (laughs) no and then eventually she was like sure but you can't do that anymore I was like I promise I won't I'm sorry
0: oh wow such a beautiful understanding you have with yourself and I'm excited to explore that within myself you've really and I know as our listeners listen to this too it's just a whole different mentality such a love such an understanding uh, and an acceptance of all the mistakes all the messiness
2: all the messiness it's like how do you extend kindness to yourself? You know, I think about if either one of my boys came to me with a concern or a challenge or feeling insecure, I would hold them with such kindness. I'd be like, oh, well, honey, let's talk about it. But I wasn't extending that same thing to myself. And so it's like, how do we extend kindness and compassion to ourselves as our bodies change, as we evolve? Um, As we like morph into a new thing, we also decided that we wanted to create an actual tool tool. So we did create um, a discussion deck that's called Say More. And, you know, there's some people who are into tarot. I'm definitely one of those people. I'm into tarot. I'm into angel cards, oracle cards. Like I I love to get messages from the universe or from my ancestors that will kind of give me a sense of the energy of the day or a particular thing I'm working on. And I was like, well, what if we did something like that for menopause? Like, what if we created a stack of cards that people could interact with as an individual or they could interact with another person? And so we partnered with Kendra and we created this deck and it's like a hundred cards. And it literally is opening to a conversation, right? Some of the cards are specifically about menopause and aging. And some of them are just like, tell me about a time you said no, that you're really proud of, or you said yes, and you wish you had said no, because it is again, giving you opportunities to think about agency and autonomy and sovereignty and forgiveness and healing and rejuvenation and joy and sexual pleasure and intimacy. And all of those things are absolutely embedded in your menopause journey. I do want people to know who are listening to your podcast, this is very important, good sex is possible while you are a perimenopausal person and as a postmenopausal menopausal person. I just, that's
0: amazing. No, that's great. Because I think sometimes people assume that drive and sexual energy and all of that dissipates as you get older.
2: It becomes complex. It becomes dynamic. It can dissipate but it doesn't mean that it could it needs to be lost to you forever. You know, some of us don't actually experience I think true pleasure until we are in our 50s or our postmenopausal because some of our experiences or our sexual debuts were wrapped in performance, right? We want whomever the person we are with, no matter what our sexual sexuality is or identity is to feel like they are pleasing us. And we are also hyper-focused on the orgasm. So it's like, did you have an orgasm and did I please you? And so I'm going to perform for you so you feel good. Now, my whole thought process is like, well, how do we get to experience each other? Like sometimes the intimacy, the pleasure, the vulnerability is not because it's going to end in something penetrative. It's because I'm going to smell you or I'm going to kiss you or we're going to take a nap or we're going to feed each other or we're going to dance or we're going to take a bath or we're going to listen to music together. Like there's all these ways that we get to unlearn what pleasure is and to begin to understand that pleasure, intimacy, sexual expression actually begins in your head, not in your genitalia. And if you're able to communicate with someone, I really like it when you touch the small of my back. Like it just sends chills up and down my spine. I like when you do that, especially when we're out somewhere and you just lightly touch my back. That's my jam. I like that. (laughs) You know, like to be able to say that to somebody and have them be like, well, I'm glad that you like that. Or I don't like when you do this thing. I, I don't enjoy it. I would really like for you not to do that anymore. Okay. And for them to say, okay. I won't do that. And I think that perspective, getting older, the lack of fear around unwanted pregnancies can allow you to be in that place. And you also get to explore yourself. There are some people who've never seen their vulva; mm-hmm. They've never looked at their vulva, They've never looked at their naked body fully. So what is the invitation for you to explore your own body, to touch your own body, to get to know your body as it's changing? You're like oh well, hmm, I like that. Or well, here we go. Let's give it a try. I don't know if I like it, but mm-hmm. we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And I, I, it's funny you mentioned the lack of fear, right? And and how the instant you said that, I thought, oh well, if you can experience a sexual experience without fear,
2: without fear at that all, that's the most like, freeing no thing. No fear, lack of performance. You actually get to engage in something that feels open, accessible, consensual, thoughtful, intentional. What? Like, that's what you want. And I do think that that is absolutely available. Unfortunately for some of us, you know, we've also had conversations with folks who've experienced sexual trauma, um, also trauma with their bodies, and find themselves now trying to figure out how to reclaim their bodies. And that's important. And with your healthcare provider, whether that's your OBGYN or your primary care physician, women's sexual health or the sexual health of women identified people is not necessarily a priority. They're like, ah, you know, you're almost 60. Do you really want to have an orgasm? Do you really care? Yes, I do actually. If I come to you and I say I'm experiencing a lack of libido or dryness or painful sex, I need you to take that seriously because. I think that everybody deserves to experience pleasure no matter how old you are. Like it's, the older you get, the more you get to be more clear around what pleasure looks like for you. Yeah.
0: Oh, I, you know what? The, if this is getting me excited to get older. And the truth is, I have loved, I just want to say it on mic because I've loved my life more and more every year. I've loved myself more and more. I've loved my space within the world more and more. And you have created a space where we can all continue to explore that. But I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for creating that space. And I want to give you the opportunity to just say, is there any other little piece of advice you have for the women who are listening now who are highly impressionable and in this part of their life where they're still learning who they are and probably feeling a little lost because most people that tune in, myself included, why this was even created, it came out of a space of feeling lost um, within my space in the world and within myself.
2: Well, I love that. I love directionally challenged. I love that. And because one of the things that we describe uh, people needing during menopause is good cartographers. You need good map makers, right? You need someone who has walked the journey before, not been successful on the journey before, has been triumphant on the journey before to create evolving maps that you can pass around and say, here's a map. So you like, you are here and I want you to find yourself where you are in your journey. And I want you to know that you're not journeying alone that you have journey mates who will walk with you. Um, I want you to know that your journey is unique. Is you know, it's not my journey, it's your journey. Um, and so therefore, you should be supported for your journey. Um, and not just supported by your doctor, but supported by your peers, your family, your partner, your spouse, your coworkers. Like you should be supported fully. In the same way, we've done so much work and so much fighting to make sure The people who are having children who are working while they're pregnant or coming back to work after they've had a child or are breastfeeding, like there's so much work we've done to make sure that they are supported. And and we're still feeling challenged. We're still challenged. But it's become much more obvious that we know that this is the right thing to do. This is also the right thing to do. No matter how you start, no matter when your journey with menopause begins, You deserve to be supported and seen and respected throughout the process. So beautiful omishade
0: oh, I am so grateful to have met you and to have had this conversation. And I just want our listeners to know this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of the conversation. Go to the Black Girls Guide to Menopause. Check it out. Share it with your friends and start on the journey that we've just kind of thrown in your face. Go with it. Go with it and go on the ride because it truly is an experience. And I'm grateful to have experienced this with you today. Thank you oh, so much.
2: Thank you, Kayla.
0: Thank you for having
2: me.
0: Challenge. You know, it's really cool when we have guests on this podcast that expand our mentality. And she is someone who I will continually listen to and check up, check in on because she is just moving the needle on something that is so uncomfortable. And menopause is uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. When we started this episode about menopause, I thought, gosh, am I capable of even having this conversation with her? And she just creates such a lovely intimate space where you can be vulnerable and you could talk about identity and change and life and your place in it. And so I'm so grateful to have had this conversation and pushed myself. I hope you guys felt pushed as well. Make sure you check out the Black Girl's Guide to Menopause because it is extraordinary. And we love you. I want you to know we love you no matter where you are in life right now, no matter how old you are, no matter how you're feeling, your relationship with your body. We love you. And that's what this is. We're supposed to all be in this together and you're not alone. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of Directionally Challenged. We have another great one coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa D. Mons. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast.